Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. This past week, uh, I was helping with the pastor's retreat in Michigan, and I had to prepare a couple teachings for that. So um, rather than prepare three teachings for this week, I decided to take one of those and um, use it as the outline and foundation for this morning's teaching. So this morning we are not in James, we are in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, but we'll jump back into James next week. And I decided to start this morning with a motivational quote. Sometimes you just need to get, you need a little bit of, you need to be energized, you need to get pumped up for life, you need to get excited for life, and so here's, here's my motivational quote for this morning that has to do with this teaching that we're going to be talking about today. It is this, things typically don't work out. Are you guys pumped? You guys would run, run through a wall with me right now, wouldn't you? Things typically do not work out. Whether that is you're planning a camping trip and you get there and your location is filled with poison ivy and ticks and it rains the whole time, which is been true of me, um, or you're planning a trip and you're excited, you got, the, you got the car all packed and you get a flat tire, um, usually the way that we plan things and the expectation for how we see things going doesn't typically turn out. Things don't typically work out. But when things don't work out as planned, here's the takeaway I'm giving it to you before we get into the message. Here's the point of today's teaching. When things don't work out as planned, the kingdom is still emerging and we are maturing. So God can write straight on crooked lines. God can shoot straight with a crooked stick. He knows how to use everything. He knows how to use the times that are working out just as we planned, just as we imagined, which are rare. And he knows how especially to use the times that don't work out as we planned. When our expectations and the way that God's working don't match, he's especially good at using those situations. And what's required of us is simply to have faith that during those times, God's not on break, he's still active, he's still working, he's still in charge, he's still good. I've been thinking a lot about uh, what might be a systematic way to disciple people at Southside. Um, As our shepherd team is wrapping up this membership process and what would it look like to be a part of the spiritual family of Southside, I've been thinking about is there a curriculum we need to create so that we're all on the same page as far as what we believe about God? discipleship. And what what I'm coming to realize is that that is very important and a large part of growing as a disciple of Jesus is exactly this. Knowing how to think about God, knowing how to think about our life when life is not going as expected. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this great quote in the book Life Together, which is a great book. He says, 
we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans. Have you ever thought you were going one way in life and you were going to do this and it was going to work out this way and then you were just set on doing that and then something happens, something inside of you shifts, you learn something new and your plans change? That's an interruption by God. And we have to make room for God to do that because God, one of the ways he grows us is cancels our plans. And when that happens, it's a good practice to say, okay, God, what are you up to? What are you up to? The worst thing you can do is say, nope, I started down that road. I'm going to power through. I'm going to do it no matter what. Then you're going to do all sorts of damage to yourself and to other people because you're moving outside of perhaps how God was intending to work. So what do we do when we're trying to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, but things aren't turning out? What do we do when our expectations don't match what God is actually doing? I want to glean some lessons this morning from the life of John the Baptist. So if you have your Bibles or if you just want to follow along on the screen or in your notes, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went out from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, I, I, I got to set this up just for a minute. You got you to know exactly what's happening. John the Baptist was in prison. We'll get to why he was in prison in a little bit. But John the Baptist had the job of getting everybody ready for Jesus. And he was thrown in prison and, and Jesus was out doing the work of the ministry, John the Baptist was probably a little bit jealous that he wasn't with Jesus doing the work of the ministry. He was stuck in prison. So that's, that's the backdrop to this, this passage. Verse 2, when, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, this is our first indication that things aren't turning out exactly how John the Baptist had imagined. He was benched. The kingdom was here. The game was about to start. John did all the pregame workout stretches, preparation. He got his ankles taped. He did all the pregame work, and the game was about to start. And the coach told him, Go in the locker room. That's what happened to John the Baptist. He was benched. He was put on the sideline. He was put in the locker room. While everyone else is out there playing the game, he was stuck in the locker room. Let's pick it up from there in verse 4. And Jesus answered them. So John sends some friends to talk to Jesus. Uh, are you the one or not? Because I thought if you were the coach, I would be out there playing. I mean, I did all this stuff to prepare for you. Are you the person or not? Jesus answered them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Has anybody ever watched Moneyball? It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Aaron Sorkin has a dynamite line in the movie Moneyball. John Henry, who's the owner of the Boston Red Sox, tells Billy Bean towards the end of the movie. Billy Bean is a wild card GM who's trying all these different types of, 
um, analyzing the talent of players and how to put players together in a way that will make the team most successful. And he's, he's really getting pummeled for this because it's a new way of doing it. So the owner of the Red Sox says to Billy Bean, he says, I know you're taking it in the teeth, but the first guy to run through the wall, he always gets bloody. Always. That's my paraphrase of what Jesus relays back to John the Baptist in Matthew 11. Let's rewind to see how we got here. It's been 400 years of silence. We talked about last time. The last word, according to the King James Version, in the Old Testament is curse. The Jewish people were waiting to see, is God going to curse us or is he going to bless us? We're waiting for the Messiah to come and bless us. Here comes John the Baptist, preaching, repentance, baptizing people in the Jordan River, preparing a way for Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, saying, after me, I'm just doing this with water, but someone's going to baptize you with, the, with real power, and I'm not even like worthy to untie the shoelaces of his shoes and take his shoes off like a servant. I'm not even worthy to do that. He's coming. I'm pointing to him. Jesus shows up to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is like, all right, let's go. I've been speaking truth to power. I've been calling religious, self-righteous people snakes. I'm ready for you now. It's, it's my turn. You're going, I'm going to help you bring the kingdom into fruition. What does Jesus say to him? Baptize me. John's like, why would I baptize you? Jesus said, we got to do this to fulfill righteousness. Baptize me. John baptized Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the, the Jordan River. A voice booms from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. John's, I don't know who all heard that, but John has to be thinking, All right, now it's go time. Now it's go time. Now you're going to make everything right. What does Jesus do? He disappears. He goes off into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted. He's alone. And John's got to be thinking, okay, all right, when he gets back, when he gets back, it's go time. I'll just keep baptizing. I'll keep doing my thing. I know he's going to include me in this. I know it's going to be awesome. You know, people are going to get what they deserve. God's going to gather all his people into his kingdom. I'm going to get some of the rewards. It's going to be good. He comes back. John continues to gladly usher people to Jesus. John is feeling extra strong and confident because Jesus is back. Jesus' disciples and John are baptizing in Enon in the same area. John feels so strong because of Jesus' presence that he tells Herod, he rebukes Herod, an earthly uh, source of power and authority, a very powerful person. John rebukes him. Because Jesus is in the vicinity and he's not afraid. And what, could ha what happens to John? He gets thrown in prison. So they're in Enon. Jesus and John and Jesus' disciples they all appear in Enon. John gets taken down to just east of the Dead Sea to Herod's prison. Where does Jesus go? John has to be thinking, Jesus is behind me. He's coming. He's coming to save me. What does Jesus do? Immediately when he hears that John is imprisoned, he goes north to Galilee goes the opposite direction. John is thrown in prison. Jesus, meanwhile, is recruiting more disciples. John probably wishes he was a part of that and proclaiming the kingdom. That got us to Matthew 
11. John's confused. He sends his disciples to Jesus to make sure they got it right. Now this is important. John the Baptist self-identifies as a prophet that the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament hundreds of years beforehand foretold of. John knows he's the prophet that makes the path straight for Jesus because when people asked him who he was, he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. That's a, it's a direct quote from Isaiah. John knows that he's that person. So Jesus, this is, this is huge. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that John is familiar with Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah as, as his own self-identity. And so Jesus takes that and he answers John's disciples with instances in Isaiah that serve as proof that the kingdom is here. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're familiar with Isaiah? Do you remember those parts that say the kingdom is here, that the Messiah will come, that these will be the signs? Let me just quote some of those signs since you're familiar with Isaiah. So that's what Jesus did. He, t- he says to John's disciples, go back and tell John this, the blind receive their sight, Isaiah. The lame walk, Isaiah. Lepers are cleansed, Isaiah. The deaf hear, Isaiah. The dead are raised up, Isaiah. And the poor have good news preached to them, Isaiah. So John's disciples were going to go back to John and tell him all these things, and John's going to be equating with Isaiah saying, yeah, yeah, all those things are what's supposed to happen when the Messiah comes, but Jesus leaves one glaring omission to John, who's in prison. You know what it was? There was another sign that Jesus didn't mention. Isaiah 61.1, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Ouch. Because John was probably thinking, John was probably waiting for that sign of the Messiah. But Jesus said to John, you're right, I am the one. And the kingdom is here. But you have to stay in prison. Now put yourself in John's shoes. How are you feeling? Things didn't work out how you expected them to. Jesus wasn't moving in the way you expected him to. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you are doing everything right and yet things just consistently don't seem to be working out? And have you ever considered that that's intentional by God? I want to end with three invitations for growth when things don't go as we planned. And here's going to be your just very practical application. Three invitations from God for our growth when things don't go as we planned. Number one, consider that he's inviting us to have a broader perspective of what he's up to and a deeper contentment with the role he's given us. A broader perspective of what God is up to and a deeper contentment with the role he's given us. So during John the Baptist's time, the kingdom was emerging, even though he had a very narrow view, 
of a six-by-six room, the kingdom was out there emerging. He had to have a broader perspective to see it. He had to be able to imagine himself out of this room and see what was happening in other parts of Jesus' ministry rather than what was just happening in his life. We get too self-focused on what's in front of us instead of seeing the bigger picture of what God's doing, and it always makes us smaller. There were tectonic plates shifting in the kingdom, and there was about to be a spiritual earthquake that would forever change the landscape of the universe. But John was probably too focused on his little role that he didn't get to enjoy that. The other thing is, John the Baptist had a vital role to play in preparing people for Jesus. And when things aren't working out as we planned, rejoice in the larger work that the Lord is doing and appreciate how he's using you in small ways in that larger work. Instead of aspiring to do great things, do little things with great love. That's not original to me, but I don't remember who said it, but it's really good. This book right here, it's called Ordinary. This book is by Michael Horton. It's a realistic response to another book that was called Radical. You can probably tell the parody if you know that book. It's, this is a red, this is the same kind of looking type of book. Radical's good. It's by a good um, pastor, theologian. It's a, little bit, it's a little bit dangerous because it makes you feel like you have to be a radical person in order to make a dent in the kingdom, in order to be useful for the kingdom. Michael Horton is phenomenal at exposing that and saying, you could live a quiet life and work with your own hands and be a faithful disciple of Jesus and play an important role in his kingdom, exactly where you are right now. This book profoundly changed me and caused me to go back to scripture and become extremely content with the role that God has given me in his kingdom. Ordinary by Michael Horton. I'll have it with me during the, the Friendsgiving meal. You can, you can take a gander if you'd like. I just said take a gander. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't even know where I got that. (laughs) When I have a sense of entitlement about how I think God should be using me, it's always because I'm thinking more highly of myself than I ought to. In Romans 12, Paul's talking to the, the, well, he's talking in the context of how God puts people in churches together. He infuses different people with different gifts. So everybody comes to the table with an important gift. And he knows human nature. So he knows that some people are going to want to, some people are going to want to do things that maybe they're not gifted in because it's just more of a high profile thing to do. And this is what Paul says in that context in Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he or she ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, don't try to be something you're not. Embrace the way that God has called you and gifted you to serve. 
That's the first invitation for growth when things aren't going as we imagined. He's inviting us to a broader perspective of what God is up to, a deeper contentment with the role he's given us. Number two, he's inviting us to look beyond the immediate situation into the future he promises us in Christ. I took this motorcycle uh, course, basic motorcycle riding a couple years ago in southern Ohio. And you take this course, it's really fun. If, you would, if you've always wanted to ride a motorcycle and you don't know anything about it, it's a fun course. I didn't know anything. I knew how to ride a scooter, and that's just you do this, and it just goes. There's no clutch or anything, and it was a blast. But I wanted to learn how to ride a motorcycle because everyone was making fun of me on my orange scooter. So Kara got me a motorcycle, and I went to this class, and I didn't know how to do anything. Literally, they start with you just walking like this. I'm like, I can do this. And they just build your confidence. So by the end, you take the test and you can pass it. One of the things in the test we practiced for, there's cones. You got to weave in and out of them like this. And everybody that had not ridden a motorcycle before was looking down like this and were like, ugh. Kept having to stop and put your foot down and correct it and start over until he gave us the trick. You know what the trick is? Motorcycle rider, you do. The trick is, Don't look down, look ahead to the end. When you're looking at the end, your periphery vision can pick up the cones and you can ride in and out, but you're looking ahead. If you look down, you're going to stall out. That's the Christian life. We were not meant just to look at our situation right here. We were meant to look ahead at the reward that's coming for us in Christ. If you focus on this situation, you're going to get frustrated and burned out. If you focus on that, you know a better day is coming, a good day is coming. And what we believe as Christians, different than what I said at the beginning, is that everything works out in the end. That's the heart of all theology. Because of Jesus, everything works out for us. It's the old story of the missionary who was on a boat coming home. And when, he, when it was docking, when the boat was docking, people had signs and it was, there was a celebration welcoming some home and he thought maybe it was for him and he found out there was a dignitary on the boat and it was actually for the dignitary the missionary had been in the field for decades and he asked he asked God what why doesn't why don't ever why don't I ever get that type of reception when I get home and he heard God say back to him you're not home yet that's the promise that we have in Christ we don't look to this world our circumstances to reward us because it'll never be enough. We look for the day that Jesus comes back. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That verse will get you through a lot. The sufferings of this present time, it's nothing compared to what we're going to experience when he comes back. It'll all be worth it. 2 Peter 3.13 is another one. The Bible's loaded with them. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new, new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are people who gain strength from the future, not from the current situation. Number three, finally, he's inviting us to drop our expectations of others and live with expectancy that is focused on God and his goodness. I got this language from, um, from Kara and our spiritual director. He's, God's inviting us to drop our expectations of others and live with expectancy that is focused on God and his goodness. John had served a lot of people. 
a lot of people. He put his neck on the line for a lot of people. Not many of them were going down and visiting him in prison. He could have got very cynical, very frustrated, very angry because people weren't living up to his expectations. He might have been on the verge of cynicism, which is always a temptation for Christ followers. Listen to this. You're not going to believe this, but play it out in your head. Every expectation you have of another human being is always met with disappointment. Always. Our job is to learn to love and serve others with no strings attached. The fastest way to cynicism, anger, resentment, frustration is to have expectations of people because they'll never meet them. Never. And instead of harboring expectations of how others ought to respond to us, we ought to live with great, expect, great expectancy in God. The more three-dimensional your view of God's love, your experience of God's love, the less you care what other people think. The less you care how other people treat you, the less fragile you'll be. And the more robust and strong and healthy and joyful and willing you will be to give to others no matter how they treat you. Friendsgiving potluck is minutes away. It's a place that's ripe for us either to bring joy to others or to, grow, to get resentful of how others did or didn't treat you. And I've been a pastor long enough that I've seen this played out so many times that a lot of times in events like this and gatherings like this, there's a strange game that we play sometimes. And that is, I'm just going to sit back and see who comes and talks to me because I'm going to leave this place angry and say, nobody even came and talked to me. I knew it. They're all crummy. It's a really weird, twisted game. Just going to see who talks to me to make a point. Repent. <laughs> Don't do that. What if instead you thought, God, fill me so much with your love that it just flows out of me naturally? And instead of me being needy and needing people to come to me and fill my tank, it's fill me so much that I can fill other people's tank with your love. Help me to not be curved in on myself, but to see other people. One way that you can test your thoughts when you have thoughts like this to see if it's actually from God or from Satan is ask yourself, if everyone in the room thought this, would it produce a more loving community? That'll give you your answer. Good enough for today? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.